Good morning. Happy Easter, everyone. I know this must feel really unusual for you to spend Easter morning at home and not physically with your church family. It's not what everyone expected at this moment in time. It kind of makes you wonder how Satan felt uh, the glorious morning when the tomb was empty. It's not what he expected. He thought he had defeated God. So why don't we pray as we begin. Lord, you were in a magnificent uh, being. You created us all, and this Easter morning you defeated death. You took the, the keys to Satan, the keys to hell, and you took them back, and you gave us life. And we love you for that, Lord. We pray this morning that we are blessed, even though we're at home and in our places, uh, in our, uh, you know, not at church, not in our normal places. And I pray that you just bless this morning. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Amen. He thought he had defeated God, and yet Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. So that, so, so that we have the same path as he did when we defeat death, when we physically die, we will be in heaven with him because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb. When Jesus went to the cross, his disciples never imagined that they would see him again. It seemed that his enemies had, had finally won. The disciples certainly didn't understand the plan. How could they? When they arrested, you know, when he was arrested on that Thursday night and they executed him the next day, none of them said, well, this is a great thing. His, his plan is working out. You know, all the things he's been talking about. No, they were all confused. They were scared. They were grieving. They didn't really know what was happening. The weeks leading up to his death, he had warned them what would happen and when it would happen in a sense that, that it was coming soon. But he would often tell him things that they didn't quite understand. And that was one of them. They struggled to comprehend a lot of what Jesus said. So this world would have been one of this thing, or this, this would have been one of these things in this, in this world that they just didn't understand. They could imagine him being arrested and punished for the things that he said and did. They were arresting a lot of people at that time. He was known for, you know, to break Sabbath according to their law. He confronted evil men to their face, and they were powerful men. So they probably expected Jesus to get punished at one point. But the thought of him getting executed on a Roman cross, that, that had to be overwhelming. So we pick up on a Sunday morning after this terrible weekend. And in Luke 24... It says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took their, the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the, the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that, that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember? Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, to be crucified, and on the third day he raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, 
They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and all the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along beside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cephas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and one ruler handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body. They came home and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of the companies, our companions, went to the tomb and found it as the women had said. They did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe that all the prophets that have spoken. Did you not, uh, did not the Messiah have to suffer through these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if the, if he, as if He were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those who uh, with them assembled together, uh, thirty-four, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you, you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And when they, were still not, when they still did not believe it because of the... And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and they took it and ate it in his presence. Verse 44, it says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled as it is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. You know, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem's. You are witnesses to these things, and I'm going to send you what my father's promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So you can imagine uh, 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 the whole idea of, of going from, from not understanding to Jesus' opening the scripture to their minds. And, and this is really what we ask for in, in today's day and age, for the scriptures to be open to us, for us to understand, for the Holy Spirit to, to really truly uh, help us understand and learn about our Lord so we can become more like him. But you could try to imagine how difficult this was for all of them. Even with Jesus in their presence, for them to wrap their brains around the reality that he had just defeated death. I mean, far be it from it just being extremely unusual. He had to explain to them all the way from Genesis to Malachi what he'd done, and why he had done it. They were simply not looking for the Messiah to do this. Uh, he would have had to show them. Uh, they would have taken time in books that, you know, they didn't want to spend a lot of time in. It. We, we usually skip around also, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and books like that where everything was laid out to Moses about the Passover lamb, about atonement, about the tabernacle. All those things that, that, that play into what Jesus did, the foreshadowing, uh, foreshadowing of guys like Moses and Joseph and Joshua and what their lives meant concerning the future. And the prophets. Isaiah talking about the, the suffering servant who would be despised and rejected by men. Jesus going through all of this and revealing himself to, the serv- uh, to that servant. The Passover Lamb, the perfect one, who had just been slain on the perfect Passover. Paul explains this to the believers of Colossae in Colossians 2.13 when he said, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the, 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 the charge of illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing 
over them by the cross. You see, he forgave us of all our sins. Not by ignoring our sins or acting like, oh, no big deal, you know, no big deal. I forgive you, no problem. You know, my son right now, you know, my four and a half year old, a lot of times he'll just say, I'm sorry. And he doesn't understand the concept of, yeah, I understand you're sorry, but what what do we do to prevent this next time? You know, we just don't ignore those things. Acting like they're no big deal. He forgave us of all our sins by paying the penalty for those sins. He took the power away of our accuser by absorbing the blows on himself. Then after Christ paid our fines, he took it a step further by battling death itself and winning in order to free us of that life and free us to the life that God has for us. Here, and in into eternity. goes beyond just the here and now. Like he said to the apostle John in Revelations 1.18, you have nothing to be afraid of. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John teaches us in, in 1 John 3.8, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What appeared to be a a shameful ending for Jesus of Nazareth on Friday, a humiliating defeat, was turned by Sunday into a victory. And this is battle. Jesus took away any power the devil has over us. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, if you were here, I would say, give me an amen, you know? I love the drive-in, uh, uh, the people that are doing the drive-in things are honking for amens, you know? But the devil has this power of, of holding the past over our heads, and, and he does that so often, but also uh, the power of the future of, of keeping us in fear so we don't stretch out and, and reach out to that life of joyful living, a life that God has for us now. This is why we celebrate today. This is why where, you, know, you, you get up on Sunday morning and get to the computer no matter how you're dressed or whatever, and, and we all celebrate together. I mean, did you wake up today thinking about celebrating? Did you wake up today with a, with a sense of wonder or a sense of victory? That Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection is, is not just a beautiful fact that was confirmed by witnesses, but it applies to your life and my life directly that our sins are forgiven. And what it, you know, or or was it just another coronavirus quarantine day? You know, where one day flows into another. You know, that day, this day, the other day. You know, we don't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday anymore. We just have, what day is it? You know, our, our kids just keep asking, what day is it? Well, it's that day, you know. So just another quarantine day. The enemy of our souls cannot hold death over us any longer. That is an awesome thing because the penalty has already been paid. And and then our Redeemer went and took the keys of death from Satan himself and holds them in his hand. He says to us now, you have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Even the atheists know this about us, that this one belief holds Christians together all over the world. 
There's a, a gentleman named Christopher Hitchens. He's one of the most intelligent, uh, well-read atheists. He, he died in 2012, but while he was with us, he wrote a book. And the book was, God is Not Great, Why Religions Poisoned Everything. And he wrote it, I think, around 2007 or something like that. He toured the, the country debating Christians, and he met some really cool religious leaders and became good friends with some of them. Uh, you know, and they would debate back and forth, but they became really good friends and had some good dialogue on stage uh, and in private with them. And then there was others that he just debated, and he would just, like, absolutely barbecue. You know, he was so quick in his thinking. There was one, a, a, libertarian, a liberal Unitarian, uh, Marilyn Sewell, up in Portland, Oregon. And she, she uh, sought to distance herself from the more conservative Christians. She said something to the effect, Mr. Hitchens, I'm not a fundamentalist. You seem to be taking on fundamentalists. I'm a liberal Christian. I don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I don't believe that he rose, for, uh, you know, rose from the grave for my sins. Mr. Hitchens, what distinctions do you make between conservative and liberal Christians? His response was, was very interesting. In fact, it laid down great doctrine, especially for an atheist. He said, ma'am, if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ and Messiah that he rose from the dead, and by his sacrifices, your sins are forgiven, you are really not any, in any meaningful sense a Christian. Wow. I mean, talk about a rebuke from a non-Christian. The Apostle Paul says it like this from the Christian perspective. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve, he says, but if it is preached, that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Verse 16, if for, the, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this, time, you know, for this life we have hope in Christ. We are all people most to be pitied, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. You know, on this Easter, uh, oftentimes we talk about, a lot about eggs, but, but we as Christians have put all our eggs in one basket. And that basket is that Christ is risen. If the cross isn't empty, if the grave isn't empty, then the promise is empty. That is not God. God doesn't make empty promises. Empty promises come from the, from the world. The resurrection is a promise that is not empty. 
Instead of offering a promise that is empty, Easter offers an empty tomb full of promise. You know, and a lot of memes have been going around on on Facebook and Instagram and different things. A lot of them are saying, you know, the the church building may be empty, but so is the tomb. So that's great and so forth. And I I get the sediment of that. I I don't have a problem with that. But but it really represents what is true. We are the church. His empty tomb shows us that we will live forever. He has defeated death, and we should take hold of that. Some have said that society has shut down the churches, that they're empty, but that is wrong. We still meet now. It's not the same you know, as, as coming together, and there's, but at the same time, there's not some grand conspiracy to shut down the churches because the church is the people. The church building may be empty, but we are still the light of the world. You see, God's theme is emptiness. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. But he doesn't stop there. Our lives are empty. But he doesn't stop there. Our future is empty. But he doesn't stop there. Everything is empty without the hope that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, rose from the dead. After he paid for our sins, and that one day coming back for us, that's what he's going to do. An empty tomb is perfect for God. He fills it with hope. And there's nothing but hope for us as believers that is designed by God to counter the human condition of emptiness. We cannot celebrate the fullness of Easter until we understand our emptiness. I pray that we get in touch with that. That we understand that without Christ, everything is empty. Because we live in a world that is so fast-paced. I believe it is, you know, it's so we cannot forget, you know, so we can forget about how empty it is. We fill things up in our life, and, and God has made everyone slow down at this point. Most everyone, not everyone. There's a lot of people out there, and keep praying for those that are out there that are having to work and, and needing to, to uh, take care of our, our sick and so forth. But this point is our chance to get in touch with the Creator, and we should not waste it. Because in life, we go from one experience to another experience to another experience, from one meal to another, one movie to another, one relationship to another, trying to find the fullness that that God gave us a desire for, that he can only satisfy. And that satisfies by the living Christ. As Christians, we need to get back in touch with this so we we can resist Resist the urge to fill it with other things so we can linger at the tomb. We can stay there with Christ to say that that he is the only one that can fill my loneliness. Let's linger at that tomb this year. Like Mary, Mary's a great example. John tells us that she lingered at the tomb. And he and Peter left and went to tell others. She didn't have anything else to do, you know, anywhere else to be, anything else to do. She was there. The angel said to her, what are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for my Lord. I don't know where they put him. I thought it was here, and they told me it was here, so I came here, but he's not here. And she turns around and looks at who she thinks is the gardener. She tells me, tell me where he is, and I'll take it from there. I can deal with this. Just tell me what happened. But the gardener is not the gardener at all. Well, he's a different kind of gardener. He's from the Garden of Eden. He looks at her and says, Mary. 
and she recognizes him. And he, she says, teacher. Her life was changed in that very moment, as were many lives of the disciples once they'd seen him. Everything for Christians traces back to this one day, this one Sunday in history. Before this Sunday, there was no church. There was, a, there was Jesus and his followers, a, a weak band of guys who followed Jesus and, and pushed the little kids away. And, and then on that Sunday, you have this powerful band of brothers, a, a gathering together around Christ and preparing to be the church. Instantly, you have a group of people that believe what they've seen with their own eyes. And nothing could change that. Jesus even told them, you will go out and be witnesses to the world. And the, world witness, and, and the word witness in, in Greek is, is the word uh, martyros. It's where we get the word martyr from. And it, as if the first Christians understood that they would die to self and even die to this world. Because they would not recant what they had seen. They had seen the resurrected Christ. Mm. Ten of the remaining 11 apostles were killed for their faith. This is one of the greatest proofs that, there is, uh, that this is actual history, that Jesus did raise from the dead, and that we can believe that. The original group who suffered because they would not change their story I mean, you know, most of them, you know, suffered gruesome deaths. Even as others were, were falling away and recanting and saying, well, I don't really follow that guy. Who is he? They held to the fact, you can kill me if you want, but this is what happened. And Jesus beat death because I saw him and they became fearless in this world. Jesus took away that fear of death that they had. They knew that as soon as they died, they would be with him again. Hmm. I think we miss this point. We will say, you know, I'm getting more comfortable with death. You know, I'll see my mother again, or I'll see my husband again, or I'll see this person or that person. I mean, don't get me wrong. That, that will be a beautiful thing. But the early Christians, I don't think they would have talked like that. They would have said, I'm looking forward to my death because I'm going to go see Jesus again. And now my mom will be there too. That would be really cool. But I get to see Jesus again, and that is what I'm looking forward to. If we had any idea for, uh, for what it was like for them to be walking around with him, to experience all the miracles, to experience everything, and then all of a sudden, lose him. And then get him back three days later. And then five weeks later, he would, he would leave them again. And they thought, uh, you know, their, uh, their thought was like the Apostle Paul. I'm available to be used for however long you want, God. But at the same time, I'm ready to be with Jesus. Use me if you have a, you know, what is my purpose here? I need to find out my purpose. And, and Lord, I want to be used for that. But I'm also ready. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. You see, the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live 
even though he dies. And whoever lives uh, and believes in me will never die. Technically, that makes us immortal. Therefore, we will not die. Now, this physical body, you know, that will go away. But we, who we are, will not die. We get to, to go be with Jesus. So that, you know, with that, that, that fear is removed. We don't have to fear the, the final earthly day. But more importantly, we don't have to fear the life we have now. We have a God who's given us purpose. And many of us are going through a difficult time right now financially and different things. And, and um, it can be hard, and, and we're all praying that this will, will go, away, go away quickly. But God has given us a purpose. And death is a powerful adversary. It causes us to, to not take the risks that we should take. We try to avoid death at all costs. I mean, uh, my youngest one, Grayson, he, he likes to jump, and, and he's a daredevil, and, and he will just dive right into the couch head first, you know? I mean, everywhere he dives, he does it head first. And I'm like, protect that head. Don't do that, you know? Most of us try to avoid death at all costs. I mean, when we were young, we, we didn't think about death. And every year, uh, we got stronger and we grow up. But that changes. Uh, you know, enjoy it while you can if you're, if you're young. But then you hit the mid-30s, and mid stands for the weight you gain uh, in your midsection. You will meet people in their 50s and 60s talking about how they were, you know, how they're, they're in midlife, which means they all think they're going to live to 100 to 120 which means in reality they're in denial, most of them. But, you know, but we don't like to think about that. As you get older, your mind is still thinking you're young. Even though our bodies are not as healthy as they once were, why? Why is that? Because we're dying. We fight it, and that's okay. But we have to be smart. You know, like, I even got to the point where I don't jump out of the back of the vehicles anymore, or the back of pickups. I get down out of the back of pickups. You know, we have to be wise about that. But then one of our friends passes away, and we sit at a funeral, and we stare at the, the, the program and look at the birth date, and, and it hits us. Life is going along nicely, but then we realize, someday, I will die. You know, I read a few quotes from famous people about facing death. Uh, one of the authors said when he was dying, his, his body was completely filled with cancer, and he finally admitted that he might be dying. He said to the person attending him uh, on one of the last days of his life, he said, all right, all right, all right, everybody dies. But I was always thinking there was going to be an exception made in my case. We all think that way, don't we? Woody Allen said, when I die, I, I won't be afraid because I don't plan on being there. And this is where everybody would laugh that was here or I would get them to laugh. Or a person who, you know, who said, when I die, I want to die peacefully while sleeping like my grandfather, not like the screaming passengers in his car. <laughs> I know, I can't help myself. But most of us fight death by changing our diets and exercising, which is great because when we die, we are the healthiest person who died that day. But this is why Easter is good news. Jesus killed death. You know, we uh, usually go camping in uh, Columbia uh, during this week before Easter, you know, the family kind of tradition and so forth. We missed it this year with the shelter in place order, but 
while we're there, we, we stop into Jamestown, the old train station. And it's a really cool place. It has all these old steam trains and locomotives, huge and heavy, and, and uh, been in a lot of movies. And you can actually ride a couple of the trains. They have a couple of them that are working, and they're, they're trying to restore them all and stuff. But they're huge, and they're heavy. And I would not like to stand in, one, you know, in front of one of those and try to stop it. That would be death to us, getting ran over by a train. But Jesus, Jesus stepped in front of that seemingly unstoppable, uh, unstoppable force. And in doing so, he absorbed what the apostle calls in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four, the sting of death. He taunts death. And it goes on, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your, your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? With a sting, what hurts the most? The actual, you know, action of being stung or the venom that is left? This is what Jesus did. He took out the venom. He took the sting out of what? Death. Without the venom, he took what would be a very painful day and leads us to a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrows, No more sickness in our lives. And the presence of Jesus, who will see us for the first time, face to face. What a glorious day that would be. Let us read what the writer of Hebrews says about death, because the author makes an interesting twist concerning Jesus. Concerning death, I mean. Really, the the fear of death. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. This is a beautiful thing. Jesus not only, and excuse the lights, we have a lot of gremlins today or something, but Jesus not only gave us the, the promise of life after death, he offers to take them away, take away our fear. And if we, will, if we allow this, he can take that away. Come to find out the fear of death holds us back from the, from the life he wants us to live. Not just risk of sky, sky, you know, risk of, of skydiving, but the risk of taking a new job, and not just the risk of things that, that could hurt us, but the life risk. Not worrying about the future of trying to find out new things, uh, uh, you know, for God, serving Him in ways we haven't thought of. I mean, what what can you do to a person who doesn't fear death? <laughs> not much. We can move forward in life when we do not fear death, especially to the things God calls us to. This is why it's so important to spend time with Jesus. Jesus called all of us to be martyrs. Why? For the sake of his gospel. But why else? Because he wanted us to have a good life. Come to find out the riskier life is, the more fun at it, you know, it is at the end of the day sometimes. The life lived for others, taking chances for God. 
not caring if it works out because God is in charge. What works out in, in our eyes is very different than what works out in God's eyes. I mean, this is all going to work out, the, the coronavirus, but, but we would have not done things this way, yet God is allowing because the world has been broken from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden when sin entered this world. Viruses and, and, and cancer and all those things came. But in the end, it's going to work out. God doesn't want us to live a riskier life for the sake of risk. No, it's, riskier. it's a riskier life doing the things he has called us to do. You know, we want an authentic you know, relationship with God. And if you want that, then start living in an authentic way and say, Lord, what risk should I take for you today? What risk should I take when, when, when this is all over and, and we're no longer at home? We're no longer, you know, we're able to get back out in society. What risks do you want me to take? What do you want me to say to others? Not in a rude way. You know, <clears throat> how do you want me to act? How do you want me to live around others that represent you? You see, God risked it all, his life, and he beat death. See, we're going to get to heaven. In the end, we will say, wow, I can't believe I'm invited to the wedding. And he will say, invited, invited. No, no, no. You are the bride. I laid it down for you so that you would be mine for eternity. I went to the cross for that. Earlier we read this and it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who will all, you know, all their lives, uh, who, who all their lives were, were held in slavery by the fear of death. We are free from the slavery and the fear of death because he is risen. He is risen. Therefore, let us not fear this life or the afterlife as we call it. Let us live for him today. That is the greatest thing that we could ever do in this moment in time that we come out of this virus situation and we live our lives for him today because of what he did on the cross. Amen? Amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. I hope that you can just, uh, uh, you know, uh, ride this thing out and, and pray for those. Pray for those uh, churches that are dealing with this. Pray for society. Pray for the doctors, the nurses, and, uh, you know, our, our first responders that are out there, the police department, those in the, you know, working down at the grocery stores and so forth. Pray for God's protection on them. But know that God is in control and God knows what's going on. He has not left us. He is here for us. But he was also here for us that day that he rose from the grave. Because that is the ultimate act of sacrifice was going to uh, dying for our sins. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for what you did on the cross. The beautiful act of, of, of taking our sin, that, that I don't have to hold on to that sin. Once I confess it to you, that sin is gone. And I pray, Lord, that you take that, that burden off of me and, and off of us. That you not let Satan just keep bringing that and, and throwing it on our shoulders and bring it and throwing it in our faces. That you would be the one to take it and throw it away. That we don't have to carry that burden anymore. I thank you for what you did on the cross. I pray that uh, 
that you will be with us in the middle of this time. With those that are, that are at home, that their conversations may center around you more often than not. That you will get us through this all and that you have a purpose for us. And I pray that we seek out that purpose. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he watch over you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. I hope you have a a wonderful week, a wonderful Easter. And then when we come back together, uh, we are going to have the biggest Easter celebration you could imagine. Uh, I've even talked to another local church. We may come together for a big celebration uh, once we come back together after a couple of weeks uh, getting things back. And who knows when that'll be? We will wait and see. We'll see what the authorities say and and so forth. But but I just want to remind you, you are the church. You are the church, not these buildings, not this podium, not the, you know, the, the lights that go out and, and the screens that go off. Uh, none of that is the church. You are the church, and remember that. May the peace of God be with you. Have a great Easter, everyone.